Welcome to episode 7 of Chasing Majors, where legendary caddy Steve Williams takes us behind the scenes of his iconic partnership with Tiger Woods. In this episode, Williams takes us back to the 2002 US Open at the famous Bethpage Black Golf Course in New York. This US Open produced an epic battle between Tiger and his great rival Phil Mickelson in front of a boisterous and sports-mad New York crowd on a public golf course on Long Island. The New York fans were crying out for their beloved underdog Mickelson to topple Tiger, but Mickelson wasn't able to stop Tiger grabbing his eighth major championship victory at the age of 26. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company. All right, Steve, welcome back. This is episode seven of Chasing Majors, and of course, this is this is one of the coolest majors I reckon that's ever been staged. It's the 2002 U.S. Open at Bethpage on Long Island, New York. It's Tiger versus Phil. It's Sergio versus Tiger. It's Sergio and Phil versus Tiger. It's just got everything this major, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think it's one of the most anticipated majors. Uh, of the modern era, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Beth Page and what sort of golf course it's been. You know, only a few people that were familiar with the New York area had played at Beth Page, but as far as the professional golfers, not many had played there. So there's a lot of anticipation, particularly the first major to be played at a first US Open that we played at a municipal course. So um, there was a lot of hype around this major, and one of the, you know, I think one of the most anticipated majors in some time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if we dial it back to, to the month before that, in between Tiger's win with you at the 2002 Masters and the US Open, you and Tiger went to Germany like you, you did for a while and you won the TPC of Europe for a third time. What was it about that event that you and Tiger seemed to like so much? Yeah, Tiger, um, first of all, he, he, always, he felt it was important being in the position that he was in that he needed to play overseas. And, and, and every year he, he played overseas and, and he, he took a bit of a liking to that event. Um, I think it might be a bit of a sneaky thing that he liked that event because they used to give us a couple of cars, Lamborghini, Ferrari, some of these German sports cars, and, and, and we were partial to having a race <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the Autobahn. So I That's amazing. That might, I think that might have played into it a little bit, and we actually even uh, got to have a bit of a drag race on, on an old airstrip. Um, which was pretty humorous. <laughs> that is incredible. So, first of all, who won? Who was the better driver? Because I know that you, for, for our listeners who don't know, you are the saloon car champion of New Zealand. So, obviously, you're pretty good behind the wheel. But how, who won some of those races between you and Tiger? Well, I think what happened is that we, we both times we'd have another passenger in the car, and it was which passenger was screened the least. <laughs> um, yeah, the... Uh, one of the episodes there, um, Tiger actually won, but he, he actually drove through someone's garden, so I disqualified him for that because I kept to the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like staying in the fairway. It doesn't matter how far you hit it, you won. Uh, what Quickly, before we move on back to golf stuff, what was the coolest car that you got and what was the coolest car that Tiger got in those tournaments? And, and why did they do that, just to, for, to treat the player well? Well, I think it was just, you know, a part of the lure of getting Tiger to play, the, you know, that he would get to drive... Um, 
or get his choice of one of these, you know, sports cars. But um, yeah, I don't know. We drove a different array of cars than that. But um, you know, I, I don't actually recall which one I like the best. But we, we certainly had a number of very, very flash sports cars to choose from. And um, yeah, I, I don't actually recall. It's all while now. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I believe it's on the way back from Germany um, that you, you duck into New York in, in late May uh, before the US Open to scout Beth Page. And this is a very important, this is one of those reconnaissance trips that you and Tiger would always do, scout the major venue a couple of weeks out while there's nobody there. But this was very important because, you know, no major had ever gone to Beth Page. And it's a very famous, very difficult golf course on Long Island in New York. And I believe it was Tiger's first ever look at Beth Page. He called it the toughest par 70 he had ever seen. What were some of the notes that you took that day and what did you walk away from Beth Page thinking? Well, first of all, they it was well documented that it was going to be the longest course for US Open history at a par 70 as well. So you just knew driving was going to be at a premium after playing a practice round. They're a very, very lengthy course. Um and yeah, it just it was it was great to actually go and see a golf course because a lot of golf courses you know, you can you can look at previous tournaments that have been played there, uh, ones you haven't been to before. But you know, th- th- there was nothing to look at for this tournament. You had to go there and see it yourself. But it, you know, absolute fan. You know, everything you'd heard about the golf course, about you know how famous it was in New York and how it rated and it, and it lived up to every billing that it received. It was a great golf course. But it was you just knew we went away from there knowing you've got to drive it good because the rough is going to be thick, it's going to be brutal, and you've got to get the ball in the fairway um, because it's just, you know, even the, the rough there, and as it turned out, uh, with it being so wet, I mean, you know, Tiger's very, very good out of the rough, but when it gets wet and it gets thick and it's wet, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, it's very, very difficult to manoeuvre the ball out of that kind of rough. Even Tiger um, has, you know, can't do that. But so, uh, yeah, that was that was the, the premium was going to be on driving the golf ball in the fairway. How excited were you and Tiger to play a US Open at a truly blue-collar public golf course in front of the crazy New York fans? Well, you knew. Look, you just you just knew there was going to be an incredible amount of hype around that tournament, and you could imagine how many people were there that had actually earned the crowd that had played the course, and and they go, "Gee, I played off that tee, and I hit it here, and he's playing off that tee, and he hits it there." You know, there's you could tell when you're standing in the crowd there. US Open, the players always slow. And you, when you just stand there, you can always listen to some of the gallery. New Yorkers are fairly loud. You can hear them talking. Um, they were just listening to all the chatter and the banter. It was, you know, you knew there was going to be a lot of a lot of talk there and a lot of banter. So it was, you know, it's fantastic. Uh, that, that, that they, yeah, they are. A, a, New Yorkers are a crowd of their own, and they're, they're well known for their behaviour at different sporting events. But um, you know, they were going to bring some excitement to this US Open. You know, like it came down to three of the best players in the world at the time. And, of course, Phil's the fan favourite. Tiger's the great player. And, and Sergio's the up-and-coming superstar. So, I mean, you, you couldn't have written a better script. And it's, it's interesting how sometimes these play, these these things play out uh, at major championships. So, Steve, Bethpage is known as a very working-class golf facility, golf facility in the New York area because everyone can play it. And, and as you mentioned before, people sleep in their cars just to be able to get a tea time. And... Like, I, I was curious, do you think you and Tiger bonded as a player and caddy because you both come from humble, hardworking backgrounds, very similar to those people who would have slept in those cars? Yeah, look, I mean, when you go, there's definitely a, a, a different sense of atmosphere. When you go to a course like that and it's a working man's environment, it's a working man's course, 
And then say you go to somewhere like Pebble Beach. Yes, it's a public golf course, but it's beyond the reach of the average person to go and play around the golf there. So there's definitely a different sense of the atmosphere there. And, you know, like, I mean, I'm a blue-collar sort of bloke, and, uh, you know, and I always admire, even though Tiger, when I first met Tiger, he, he was sort of like a blue-collar bloke to me as well because, I mean, the very first day I met him, he, he, one of the things he was doing was cleaning his car. He loves cleaning his cars and that. You know, a lot of people in his position, you know, wouldn't pick up a rag and even wipe the car down. So, you know, he, <laughs> but, you know, whilst he, he, he uh, yeah, obviously made himself very wealthy from playing golf, he, he, he didn't ever shy away from some of those, you know, blue collar activities that he liked to do. To your to your core, you were both pretty similar, weren't you? Very hardworking people from humble beginnings and driven to be the absolute best of what you were going to be. And that was obviously you being a caddy and him being the greatest golfer ever. Yeah, I mean a good combination. I mean hard work pays its dividends, whatever you do, and it doesn't matter what you do, that that that, that goes without saying. But you know, to go to New York and play at Beth Page, a course that had had so much written about it in front of the fans who are the most passionate people about their about their players that they support um, on, on a golf course that was, you know, no one knew until they got there. You know, it was just a storybook week. Now, uh, the media was pretty curious about, you know, if Tiger could win, he won, he had won the Masters, so if he could win the the U.S. Open, he would be halfway to the to the Grand Slam in a in a calendar year, and that was obviously one of the big storylines. But uh, once you get to Beth Page that week for the major championship, and you do your first couple of walks around the venue, how would you present your strategy to Tiger about this is how we should attack the golf course this week? Yeah, well, there's there's a number of holes there that got dog legs on them. Um, and and so forth. So you, you know you've got to have a good strategy, of course. And the other thing that we worked out pretty quickly there is the wind. Um, it, 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 the wind is very gusty around there, somewhat similar to Augusta, that you can sort of lose your sense of direction a little bit around there, and the wind can play a bit of havoc uh, from one hole to the next hole there. So that was a key element there to work out. You know what the wind tends to do, and that's a good case of where I asked a couple of the assistant pros in the pro shop, you know, when the prevailing wind does this, is there any certain holes where it's not the prevailing wind and that sort of thing. So I made a couple of notes from a couple of suggestions from the couple of assistant pros there, which, you know, proved to be very valuable. Um, but, you know, look, it was just, it's a US Open, the course is long, the rough is high, and as it played out, it was very soft. So you've just got to drive the golf ball in, in the fairway. So, um, fortunately, that week, you know, Tiger was swinging the club very, very well, hitting it very long, and, and he had a good week with the driver, hitting, you know, enough fairways there. You're like, you're not going to hit a lot. You're never going to hit all the fairways at a US Open because they're pretty tight. Um, but you know, there's some holes there that, you know, for instance, the 15th hole. If you drove the ball in the rough there, you just could not possibly get the ball on, on the green, no matter who you are. So there's a lot of holes there where you know when you hit your tee shot, if you know it's in the rough, you're staring down a bogey for them, you know, as soon as you're looking at it here before the rough. And 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 so you've done your couple of first walks around around the golf course, I'm, I'm guessing Monday, Tuesday. Do you sit Tiger down at lunch and say, look, this is my opinion, how we should attack the golf course this week and, and sort of set the scene for us? Would it be at the house that you, you sit down with him and put your plan and see if he agrees with it? Yeah, look... One thing about Tiger and myself, you know, to be a good combination as a player and caddy, you're both on the same page. So when he plays the golf course in the practice round, I walk the golf course before he's played it, and I suggest certain things. It's unusual that we would not get it right straight away because he would agree with what I'd say. I would be looking, you know, what what is the widest part of the fairway? 
where is the most penalty, where is the least amount of penalty, if you were to miss it on what side, and all these sorts of things. So, you, you know, you, when, when you're caring for a guy like Tiger with his length, um, and, and given that his length sometimes is not accurate, he can be off the fairway. You, you've just got to work out if you are going to favour one side of the fairway, which side of the fairway to favour. So there's a lot of work goes into it prior to teeing off on Thursday just to make sure you've got all your notes right and you're both happy with the game plan that you're going to execute for the next 72 holes. And when is that team meeting? Is that on typically on a Tuesday afternoon or, a, you know, Monday afternoon? Yeah, it just, it just depends on, on what the schedule is for the week. Sometimes we, we, we would go and play there on a Saturday and Sunday before and not play on a Monday and a Tuesday or, or late Tuesday. It just, it just depends on what the week, you know, the forecast dictates that a lot. Um, typically, when you go to a major venue like there on, a, on the Monday when 90% of the players haven't played the course for it, this practice round is going to be excruciatingly slow and painful to play in. So, you know, you might not play on the Monday and that, but, you know, you, you'll have it. You know, once you actually step onto the golf course for your proper practice rounds of the tournament week, you would have discussed what your game plan is prior to that, either be it, you know, that when you came in a few weeks before or the weekend before. And was this the most excited that you've you've sort of ever been for a major up until that point or among the most excited given, you know, it's in New York with these crazy fans and it's a US Open? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was... You know, it's hard to comprehend because you know you, you're coming off four straight major wins, and now you know here you are in New York, <laughs> and and the talk already is about you know if Tiger can win here, he's halfway to the actual Grand Slam. Well, you know he's just I mean it was it was you know in New York you've got some uh, a lot of different newspapers, and it was very interesting reading a lot of the articles. You know once you, you know once you tee off, everybody's equal on the first hole, and you get onto it, and and you know you're not thinking about. You know, whether it's the first major in a row, second halfway of the grand same, you, you know, you're trying to play 72 holes of the best golf you can with the least amount of mistakes. And the US Open, unlike all the other majors, my opinion is that it's not won by the greatest amount of good shots, but it's won by the least amount of bad shots. Uh, and that's so you've got to really have your game uh, and key in. As we know at US Opens, you know, pars generally a very, very good score. Chasing Majors is made possible by our friends over at Bluebet. Bluebet is the true blue Aussie betting company which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the US PGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first round leaders and three ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the Majors starting with the upcoming Masters in April. One of my favourite bets on the Bluebet app is Tiger to win a major in 2022, and I think we'd all love to see him make another comeback. So head over to bluebet.com.au or download the Bluebet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. So Steve, Tiger opens the 2002 US Open with a 3-under par 67 to take the first round lead, and the fans were absolutely nuts that day, weren't they? Can you recall that first round and the fans? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Tigers notoriously can be a slow starter in a, in a US Open first round, and I'm sure he would have been very thrilled to have shot 70. So when he walked off the 18th green there with a three under 67 uh, on on a golf course as demanding and difficult as that, I mean, that, that you know, puts you in the right mindset going forward for the next three days, but also gives you an enormous amount of confidence because, you, you know, if you get off to a good start at the US Open, you're not on the back foot, you know, it's very hard to make a lot of birdies, you know, if you open up with a 75 at the US Open, it's not like you can think you're going to go out the next day and shoot 65 because it just doesn't happen at a US Open so to open up with a very good score and he played very well on top of that was super confidence building 
And there was a funny moment on that first round when Tiger got a round of applause after ducking into a portable toilet on the way to the 15th tee. And Tiger said back to the crowd, are you guys clapping because I'm potty trained? Can you remember that moment? I was kind of hilarious because, you know, I mean, players, caddies, officials, you know, whoever it be in the groups at some point when you're, you know, 18 holes because you're always drinking a lot of water because it's hot and humid and so forth and you've got to use the bathroom. But only in New York will you get that kind of rousing applause when you come out of a portal. Only in New York <laughs> would that happen. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. Okay, so we move on to round two and there was some seriously heavy rain that day. And so, so Tiger gets off. He's somewhat lucky in that he had a nice early morning tea time on Friday, shoots a 68 but in the afternoon, Sergio cops far worse condition, Sergio Garcia, and he shoots 74. And afterward, he made some some comments that would become uh, controversial because he said, if Tiger had been out there, I think they would have called it. And by that, he meant they would have stopped play. What did you and Tiger make of his comments at the time? Yeah, well, I mean, that's just sour grapes, really. You know, as a golf professional that you play, that, you know, some weeks the, the draw, the, you know, the draw is very, very important in golf. And some weeks, if you're on the wrong side of the draw it can be very, very difficult to put yourself in position to win a golf tournament. And if you're on the better side of the draw, um, and, and, you know, the US Open this week provided that. It happens nearly every year at the British Open, the Open Championship. One side of the draw cops a win and one doesn't, or, you know, one gets more win than the other. So when you play over a course of a year, you're going to get sometimes when you're on the harder side of the draw and there's an easier side of the draw. Sergio, unluckily, he was faced with the more difficult distance on Friday. He felt that the weather... Should have uh, weather conditions dictated maybe play should be stopped, uh, and he thought that a while of Tiger had to be that they would have stopped it. But the USGA, I mean, you know, they they certainly they don't uh, make calls like that. They're a professional organisation. They're not going to make you know a call because the guy that potentially is is the tournament winner is going to be out there. That's you know I think that's just sour grapes by Sergio. That was ludicrous to be honest. I read that the New York fans were counting the seconds it took for Sergio to actually pull the trigger on a golf shot because at the time he was struggling to pull the trigger. He was going through a lot of waggles and re-gripping the club for a number of seconds. And I believe the New York fans were counting every second before he hit a shot. Can you recall that? I can vividly recall it, Evan. It was it was one <laughs> of the you know, I mean it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen because he, he was his normal um, position when he addresses the ball in, in his pre-shot routine is he re-grips the club with his right hand you know, one, two, three times before he swings it. But here it was going one, two, three, four, five, six, and the fans would start counting. And it was getting up into 10, 11, 12, and they started counting every time he did it. And it was, I mean, it made life miserable for him. <laughs> um, and, he, you know, he, he had to find a way to, to not keep regripping the club. And, you know, when he got to, you know, past three or four, they'd just start counting. It was, it was pretty funny. Um yeah, I, I, you know, only in, once again, only in New York would they do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose he was pretty frustrated, wasn't he? And, and that's probably influenced his comments um, on, on Friday. You know, he's been copying it from the New York fans. And, uh, you know, he makes those comments that the Tiger, you know, got the preferential treatment when that wasn't really the case, was it? Oh, certainly not the case. Look, I mean, at this particular point in time, and that you know, there's a lot of great players around that, and and you know, the feeling is that because Tiger's winning these majors frequently, if you took Tiger out of the field here in all these major championships, it's going to be divided up against a lot of other players. Mickelson's going to have a couple more, Ernie L's going to have a couple more, Sergio. But because Tiger's been so dominant, and and these guys aren't getting the, the, a fair chance to win some of the majors, you know, there's a little bit of sour grapes going around. Yeah, you could sense that. So so in, in round three, Tiger plays with Padraig Harrington, legendary Irish golfer, and 
Tiger shoots an even 70 to take the 54-hole lead at 5 under par with Sergio in second, four shots back. It's funny because Mickelson was on Tiger's heels on Saturday and really, you know, snapping at his heels, but a bogey on the 18th dropped him out of that final group with Tiger for Sunday. But when you and Tiger finished late at a late-night rain session that Saturday night, you get back to Tiger's locker and you find a note from Sergio apologizing for those rain comments on Friday. Can you remember your reaction and Tiger's reaction to that letter in that locker? <laughs> Well, I can remember our reaction, but I won't tell you what we said. But, <laughs> but um, no, look, Sergio knows that under the heat of the moment, he said something that he probably shouldn't have said. I mean, it's probably something he thought, but it's something he should have, made, you know, should have not put out there for people to hear. Um, and it just didn't paint a good picture for him at that particular time. So, I mean, there was, you know, I think that was good that he actually did take the time to write something. I mean, yeah, that was nice that he did that probably. But it was, yeah, we, we thought it was pretty humorous. One thing I do want to ask you about, um, there was a moment on Saturday when Phil Mickelson made birdie on 17 and Sergio made birdie on 16, and he pointed towards Mickelson and smiled almost in a gesture of unity. Could you sense that that you know both Phil and Sergio had almost teamed up against Tiger that week because they were so sick of him beating him? Yeah, look, he got. It was a very interesting, you know, it became sort of a a three horse race amongst the crowd. Certainly, the crowd had had their three favourites and. Phil was the, the obvious favourite, and then he was the people's favourite, and then you know Sergio was next, and so you know Tiger at at New York, he he wasn't the person that everyone wanted to win here. So and Phil and Sergio, you know, were trying to unite and get some power. I think you know Phil wanted if he didn't win, he wanted Sergio to win. If Sergio didn't win, he wanted Phil to win, sort of thing. And I think that they were sort of pulling together that somehow if they got together and pulled together with their own strength and that, but perhaps they could overcome Tiger at Bethpage. So, you know, as like I said before, it was a match sort of made in heaven, really. It's exactly what New York wanted, didn't it? You know, three three heavyweights going at it, um, sort of a bit of, bit of controversy mixed in and amongst that and some great golf on a great golf course. Yeah, look, I mean, it played out, you know, when the USGA decided to choose Bethpage Black to hold the US Open, I'm sure at the end of it, they're absolutely thrilled how it all panned out. There was drama. There was, you know, weather delays. It chucked everything at them that week. So I, I think all in all, they would have been pretty happy. And three under par won the tournament. Only player under par was Tiger. So they love, typically, uh, you know, they love that even score, even par score. And, you know, that they got very, very close to it there. So, you know, it shows you how difficult the golf course is. It's soft. Um, which typically makes the golf course a little bit easier as far as hitting the fairway, and only one player broke par. So you know, that's a testament to the difficulty of the golf course. A little bit of a side note before we begin the final round. A lot of the volunteers and hole marshals that week at Bethpage were actually members of the New York Fire Department and the New York Police Department, and obviously they'd been through hell with 9-11 only nine months before this US Open. Can you remember any funny stories or interactions with those volunteers who are obviously so grateful to be there up close and personal with Tiger and the other players? Yeah, I mean, I think all the players just felt a tremendous amount of respect for all the volunteers there, particularly knowing that all the different services from New York and what they'd endured uh, through 9-11. But I do recall one guy um, on Sunday, or Saturday, sorry, when Tiger was paired with Harrington. And when they both went to the putting green prior to playing, Harrington was just a little bit ahead of Tiger. And he sort of moved over towards one of the holes to start his putting, and the bloke there said, hey, that's where Tiger starts off. <laughs> 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 and uh, we, we had a great laugh, and of course, Harrington, he, he, you know, he, he didn't give a shit, he just went straight there with the guy, but, but um, 
look, they were fantastic to have those people involved. And it was kind of good to sort of talk to them and have a bit of interaction, like on the tees and that, you know, Tiger took his time a few times to thank them for being there and, and what they'd done and what their different services, be it the fire, be it the ambulance, be it the police, be it, you know, what sort of emergency services. Um, he, he was very taken back, as all the players were, that these people were all mustered together and were volunteers for the tournament. It was a great, a great thing that the USGA did there. Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades, who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules and netball. The team at X-Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport, and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf, with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. So, uh, Steve, Tiger starts the final round horribly, actually, with two three-putt bogeys on both of the first two holes. What did you typically say to Tiger to lift his mood on a Sunday if he, if he, you know, if he found himself in a situation like that? Yeah, well, they were, they were, you know, unusual for him to, you know, have two three-putts in a row. Like, you know, he could go 100 holes without a three-putt, let alone mm. two three-putts <laughs> in a row. Um, but it's a US Open, you know, it's going to be tight. And he hit two good tee shots in the first two holes and two reasonable iron shots. He just hit two, you know, two poor three putts. So, um, there were, you know, like when when you have the odd three putt like that, I didn't say anything to him because he'd been putting well all week. He'd been holding out good. And, and you, I knew, you know, once he got going and, and um, you know, he, he didn't hit bad putts. He just didn't hold them. Um, there was a pretty vicious lip out on the second and he had a, you know, just the first, on the first hole, his putt was a little short, and he had a good second putt. They just didn't go in, so it wasn't like it hit bad putts or bad shots. They just, you know, it's a US Open. You can make a bogey, and that was evident on the first two holes. And what about a situation where he wasn't playing well? How would you lift his mood? Like, was was there any speeches you could remember delivering where you sort of helped Tiger maybe remind himself how great he was? Yeah, well, look, a lot of times when, when things aren't going good, you'd make a little mini bet. We, we, we'd had constantly make little mini bets, be it three holes, six holes, nine holes, just something to, you know, to, to, to get away from thinking that you're playing poorly. Tiger loves a bet with anything. So if you just make a little in-house bet, you know, about how many fairways and green, if you can hit the next three greens, the next three fairways, you know, you'll get this if you don't, you know, I mean, this sort of thing, just something to take your mind off the actual fact that you're trying to win a golf tournament and, and you're and you're not playing your best. But you and know it might or, be it might be dinner or lunch, you know, your shout dinner if you don't hit the next three correct. fairways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or, or you can just, you know, just say, hey, look, just think about all the great shots you hit. You know, maybe sometimes I'd I'd, I'd trigger them and say, remember this shot you hit at this course here. Try and think think about that swing you made on that shot. And a lot of times that muscle memory you can picture something in your head and then and you actually can produce the swing. Tiger notoriously good at muscle memory of being able to picture something and actually make it happen just by picturing it. So it's a lot of times you just bring up a shot that was one of the best shots you'd ever hit or one of the most important shots um, that was key to, to the particular moment and, and, and get them to think about that. And, and, you know, sometimes that was just enough to trigger a great swing and, and away you go. Yeah, it's a good tactic. Did, um, did you have a go-to shot that you would you would use in those moments? You know, I'm thinking like maybe that sweeping draw with the three wood on the 13th hole at Augusta when he won the Masters, <laughs> or or maybe another iron shot. Like, did you have a couple saved in your memory? Yeah, just look different ones with different clubs. You know, you know, or you know, sometimes it might have even been a great shot that we had on the range. We you know would have a bet on the range sometimes about you know go on you see you hit this shot this you know just all different things. But yeah, absolutely, just you know you. 
you, you know, you can flash back to all certain moments of great shots of all different clubs. Um, and, and that those, like I said, they can just trigger a bit of muscle memory. If you picture that shot and you think about it, and, and generally you, you, you get a sense of when you think about a great shot in the moment, it gives you a sense of enjoyment, a sense of pride and a sense of success. That's just enough sometimes to think, you know, hey, I can do this. Yeah. And I suppose that probably worked when he got to the seventh hole because it was a turning point for Tiger that day. He hits a stunning two iron into the difficult par four seventh, which set up a nice birdie. Do you think that calmed his nerves that day? Yeah, that, that was a that was a key putt. That one, you know, to make a to make a putt of that length and just you know just to keep everybody just at bay there. Uh, that that was a key moment. You know, like on Sunday's round, that was certainly the key moment. And from that point forward. You know, he he definitely had two hands on the wheel in control of what he was doing. So, Steve, Sergio is well out of contention after nine holes. He makes only one birdie during the final round for a 74 to finish fourth. But Mickelson is only four back with nine to play. And then Phil hits a great approach into the 11th hole and he makes a birdie to be three shots back. What were you saying to Tiger at this point just to keep him confident and, and sort of remind him that, that Phil has to come get him? Oh, I mean, look, there's nothing to be said. You, you, you're not playing against Phil. You know, you're playing against the course. You know, in that situation, on a US Open Sunday at a course that difficult, if you can shoot par, we knew that was going to be a good score. So, you know, if, you know, if Phil's going to make a birdie, you know, Tiger might make one. But you know, it's only when you get to the last couple of holes that some things might change like that. But in the course of the round, up until the last couple of holes in that, when you're leading the tournament, that you just keep doing what you're doing. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Steve, a weather delay was called as the final group was on the back nine. Did you and Tiger talk about how that maybe could stall, could stall Phil's momentum and sort of plan what you were going to do when you came back out of the weather delay? Well, I mean, you know, Phil's had some momentum going. The other thing with that is, is you know, you've got, you got a weather delay. And the, what do the fans do when there's weather delay? They go to the nearest beer tent and they get a couple. They're going to have a couple <laughs> of beers in that 45 minutes, and they're going to come back and they're going to be supercharged up for Phil. So, in some sense, that was probably in his advantage. You know, you know he, you know, because they're going to be just a little bit louder and a little bit more like, "Come on, Phil!" So, and 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 that was actually the case after that delay because that's what everybody does. Uh, they go and get a couple <laughs> of beers. So. Um, it, you know, following that delay, the weather came out good. The, the, the sun came out, and um, it was it was a supercharged atmosphere for the last few holes in that. But uh, you know, like that's a, it's a key key situation when they have a weather delay because of the time, and they, they can't have the players come off. They haven't got enough time to get the players off the course to get them back out in position. So they hold them in position, knowing that it's not going to be a lengthy weather delay. And you've got to stay loose. You've got to, you know you you, you 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 can't sit down and get stiff. You've got to keep moving. So Fitness plays a big part of that because, you know, you, you've got to keep moving. You've got to, you know, you just can't sit down. Otherwise, you're going to get stiff. So hmm. you're out there playing. You, you've got to, you're walking up and down wherever you're, you know, we, we were in a trailer and that. But you, so you, you've got to keep, you've got to keep standing. You've got to stand up and you've got to keep moving so you don't get stiff. And 
Uh, I think when, you know, Tiger being supremely fit and he showed that when he came back out, uh, the most difficult, we were standing on the most difficult hole in the golf course to start the resumption of play after that delay. And he absolutely just caned a tee shot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty impressive to watch. Yeah. I was, I was just about to ask you about that, that drive on the, so his first shot out of the weather delay is his, the tee shot on 12. Like you said, the most difficult hole in the golf course and he murders his drive straight down the middle. How, 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 how excited were you for those final six holes once he had done that? Yeah, look, I mean, the, we, even when you're caddying for a guy, but I'm still like everybody else. I'm a huge fan of golf, and I'm a huge fan of this bloke. And you stand there and you watch a guy, you know, it's the first swing in 50 minutes, and he comes out, and he just absolutely gives it every single bit of power. I mean, he just absolutely lashes at it. And, and you stand back there, you stand in awe and watch that. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it just... You know, it just reminds you like what an incredible talent this bloke is, and that. But that, you know, that that's after a fifty-minute delay, that's not the tee shot you'd want. You know, I mean, you'd like to be standing on a short par three with an eight iron in your hand with a bit of leeway for it. But um, you know, that that's a huge confidence boost. You stand up there on the most difficult hole and just lace a drive. You know, knowing that you know you when you're starting on a very very difficult hole, all you're thinking is, shit, if I hit it in the rough here, I'm going to drop a shot here. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, all you're thinking that whole 50 minutes is about that tee shot and getting that ball in the fairway, and you know how key it is. And when you start off and, and that's all you've been thinking, then you actually do it. Um, that's a huge step in the right direction to winning the championship. Well, Phil comes out fired up as well, and he gets within two shots of Tiger after a brilliant fairway medal for his second shot into the par 5 13th. The crowd went absolutely nuts. Could you feel they were almost more on Phil's side that day than they were on Tiger's? And did that fuel you and Tiger? Oh, you look. There's no, there's no absolute question about they were. You know, Phil is the fan favourite, and we're playing in the in, in, in the people's town here, so they yeah. were hugely favouring Phil and wanting to pull him through to get a major victory. You know, you know that, how pleased would they be to see Phil get his first major championship in their backyard? On their, yeah. I, I, you know, the the, the 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 most common thing that was said all week there. And, and they say it in that New York, New York accent is, how do you like our course, Tiger? How do you like our course? <laughs> they call it our course. Yeah. Because it's a municipal course. It's in New York. How do you like our course, Tiger? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so the, the people just, they, they have an affinity with the course because they can play it every week. I mean, it's, it's just brilliant when you get a golf course like that. But, yeah, certainly uh, after that rain delay, and there's a few more beers being drunken, uh, the people were absolutely, but of course, you know, you know, Tiger's up for the call too, and that, that absolutely fuels him as well. That you know, that, that makes him if he's not, you know, a hundred percent determined, he's hundred and ten percent determined now. So that that helps him too. So, you know, it, it, when I was out there on that day, you know, I always sometimes thought, geez, wouldn't this be great if we went to an eighteen-hole playoff in, in yeah. New York on the Monday? Wouldn't that be sensational between Phil and Tiger in an 18-hole playoff for US Open? I said, you know, those are the sorts of things you're thinking. It's a, it's a reality that could happen, and how exciting would that be? I would have been made for television stuff, wouldn't it? Um, but I want to ask you, Tiger's mental toughness and a kind of military training that his father had given him as a child, do you think that came into play that day? Oh, look, there's no player, we all know that, Evan. There's no, no player mentally stronger than Tiger. Um, he, he just absolutely trusts his ability more than anybody else when it comes down to the stretch and his ability to hit good shots under the most intense situation is far greater than anyone that's played the game so um, absolutely no doubt about that yeah so Steve Tiger responds so you know 
to bring it back to the 13th hole. Phil's hit a great shot. Um, it, the crowd goes nuts. Tiger responds with a breathtaking long iron for his own second shot into the 13th. A two iron from 263 yards. He just misses the eagle putt. And he gives one of his famous pronounced club twirls, a very extended club twirl. How much did you enjoy those club twirls over the years? Well, that, those are fantastic because as soon as he strike the golf ball and, and I could see the twirl coming, I just go and pick the divot up because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going straight at it. Yeah, but, yeah. Then he he, he 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 did that all the time and that. But we, we, but like I said, we, you know, when you're playing on a soft fairways and that, and, and you know, you're taking divots and that. But every time I'd see that, I just I don't, I don't even watch. I just bend down and get the divot because he knows somehow that when it takes off, it's absolutely the right direction and it's absolutely the right length. So uh, yeah. that's a thing. Of, that was actually a thing of beauty to watch. Did part of you get fired up when he when you saw that club twirl? Oh yeah, like that was a you know that was a key shot there because all of a sudden you, you know straight away that you stand there and you want to make a birdie, but you know when the club twirl, you know there's going to be an eagle chance because you know he struck it absolutely perfect, and when it's absolutely perfect, it's going to go the absolute length that you want it to, and it's going to be an eagle chance, and you know that was just going to give a bit of breathing room. But I mean, he made birdie, but an eagle would have you know given you you know probably a lead, a lead that was going to be unsurpassable. So Mickelson bogey 16, and it's basically all over for him right there. How much did you and Tiger enjoy Mickelson's challenge that week? Oh, look, there's no question about it because, you know, Phil is an absolute fantastic player, you know, in Tiger's era. He's, he's the next best player in Tiger's era. And he, Phil knows that because Tiger's competing, that it's really hurting him, you know, his major tally is not getting started because Tiger's there. And yep. Tiger knows that he's there playing well and it's stopping him. So, I mean, it, it's, a, you know, it's a great battle and that would remain for a number of years. Now, this was, Phil was now zero for 40 in majors and, and you know, he, he had that unenviable tag of best player without a major. Did part of you almost feel sorry for Phil that he was getting beaten so badly, coming so close at the majors without getting one? And, and did part of you almost want him to win one to give Tiger a real rivalry? Yeah, look, I mean... Unfortunately, like at the US Open there, a couple of late bogeys, you know, from Phil, um, he, had a, he had a couple of uncharacteristic shots. You know, so, so he, he, had he have hit some decent shots, uh, he really could have put some heat on. But um, the rivalry was never going to really get going properly until he did win one. And that's yep. a great point that you make. You know, if he had a one-one, then then the, the, you know the rivalry was there. But you've got to have major championships on the board there to get a, a, a true rivalry going in, in that particular sense. So, absolutely, because you know I would have loved to have seen him got one. And the only, the great thing about that is because it only makes Tiger get better and only makes him practice. Because you know, like a great example is when Michael Campbell won the US Open um, and Tiger was absolutely gutted at his performance there. I could have bet everything I owned that he would win the next championship. Really? Uh, and he did, because when he goes away from a, a major championship knowing that he's made some uncharacteristic mistakes, he goes away and works on those parts of his game. And that's exactly what he did at uh, St. Andrews, which we'll get to later. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I can't, can't wait for that episode. That's the next episode If you know, for a sneak peek right there. Steve's giving you a sneak peek. <laughs> uh, so Tiger bogeys 16 and 18, but it doesn't matter because he grinds out a nice 2 over 72 to finish at 3 under par, 3 shots ahead of Mickelson. 
like you mentioned before, Tiger was the only player under par that week, just like the, in the same circumstances as the 2000 US Open at Pebble Beach. And Tiger goes on to obviously win his eighth major championship at the age of 26. Steve, what was the most impressive part of Tiger's win? And what are you most proud of as a caddy that week? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing there is, is that you, you know it's going to be a supercharged atmosphere uh, and you, you've got to maintain some peace and, and keep trying to keep that noise out. Yes, the noise is going to be there, but you don't want to be listening to everybody either in the saying these, you know, some pretty amazing comments that get thrown around there. So you've you've really got to be very, very focused. Not that you don't have to be in any other tournament, but when the noise is so loud and a lot of the comments are comments that you're not expecting to hear uh, very often at a golf tournament. That. So you've really got to maintain some focus and, and, and block a lot of those things out and, you know, try and, I was always that week trying to talk to Tiger, just keep his mind off to certain things and that, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of banter going on between the crowd and and so forth. But, um, you know, the key there after having a look at the golf course, that was going away and thinking that, you know, you've just got to drive the ball good. That's what he worked on more than anything else. He came to Beth Page and drove the ball fantastic. So that's a milestone in itself, you know, like we it's sort of like that three-wood hit at Augusta on, on Sunday at the Masters. Um, you know, it's something you worked on and something you delivered. And, you know, a lot of times you can put a lot of effort into working into one particular point in the game, and it's easy to do it on the range. We all know that. But take it from the range to the US Opens, another kettle of fish. But he, he did that, and that was super proud. So you're, you're, most, like you're most proud that week of keeping Tiger distracted from the crowd's based on sort of one-on-one conversations. Is that right? And I'm almost going to guess they would have centred around the 2002 World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, we just, you just like I said, just to, just to try to keep it on an even keel and not sort of let the gallery, you know, like I said, you know, there's a lot of things said, some good and, and some bad uh, from when you get, you know, very boisterous crowds and that. And, and look, it all adds to the excitement and the drama of it, but you just got to keep a very even keel in a place like that and not, you know, you can get very excited and, and overexcited sometimes and get walking quick, walking slow, what it might be. So just being able to maintain an even keel in, in an atmosphere like that is very important. Tiger said in his press conference he was actually going to celebrate this one and that kind of almost goes against every other major where he won and he basically told you to get your ass to the next major championship venue. But did you guys actually, you know, soak up the win that day, that night? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was quite a late evening. Um, by the time we'd finished there, it was close to darkness and all the festivities there and that. But um, we did have a couple of drinks on the plane going back to Florida, that's for sure. But, you know, we were. it was very... It was a long week, um, and, and and it's a you know a big week mentally. The US Open that so yeah, but it, yeah, once again it was a it, it wasn't you know a massive celebration by any standards, but by you know by Tiger standards, we certainly had a couple of drinks there and, and enjoyed you know winning another major championship. In its fifty first year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over eight hundred and fifty thousand golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. After a massive major championship like that and a huge victory that took a toll both on you and Tiger, 
how, you know, would, would you just sleep for two days? Would Tiger sleep for two days and the whole team just needs to sort of lick their wounds and, and recuperate? <laughs> Look, I mean, as I've pointed out before, Evan, you know, the, the next thinking is just on to the next one. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, that, 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 that's how it is. I mean, um, you know, I found myself when I first started going to caddy for Tiger, you know, I, I considered myself a pretty reasonable fit sort of bloke, a lot of, do a lot of running and cycling that. But when I went to work for him, I thought, geez, I'm not as fit as I think I am. And, and <laughs> you know, I got myself in very good physical shape too, just because I, I felt I needed to be to be at his side. Uh, and that sort of certainly made those weeks when you finished the golf from that not as tiring as it used to be. Uh, you know, being super fit um, really helped mentally and physically particularly in the aftermath of a great week like that. You know, you, you obviously, on, on the next day, you sit back and reflect and everything like that, and then you get back up and running. But, like, you know, with, like it's, I pointed out before, with Tiger, it's on to the next major. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you don't, you don't get time to dwell on it, do you? So, Steve, I want to get your reaction to this stat because it, it obviously concerns your timeline with Tiger. From the 1999 PGA Championship, the first major that you and Tiger won together, through to the 2002 US Open, Tiger won seven of 11 majors. What made you and Tiger such a great team? Gee, that's an incredible amount of birdies, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, you, you've got to gel with a player and you've got to believe in what they're doing. And, you know, you, you've got to work hard together You've got and so forth. But I think what just, you know, I, I'm very confident in what I do or did as a caddy. Um, and, and, and that confidence came from hard work. And keeping a lot of information, like I, I, I wrote down so much information about every round, even based on the fact of how his mood was, what did he do? You know, I, I kept so much information. I mean, I had a, a diary of information and always had something to go back to, you know, and always something to fall back to. So I was never short of something to say, never came to a situation where I hadn't been in this situation before so I always had something there to deliver you know just never I never go quiet so I'm always going to say something sometimes it mightn't be right but 99% of the time it's probably a favorable comment but just being able to work hard together and and, and just be confident you know like I you know I, I would put so much thought into it and have so much belief in what he was doing and you know, it gets to the point where, you know, you almost feel like you're standing in that guy's shoes and you're seeing what he's seeing and feeling what he's feeling and you can base that on on, on your decision-making. So you know this kind of shot he's going to practice or going to hit and you know the kind of flight he wants. And that It's just, you know, it's two minds that come together that are thinking on the same path 90% of the time in that and that makes a very successful caddy player relationship. So you've won seven of 11 majors together. What do you think Tiger admired most about you as a caddy and a bloke, you know, like on and off the course? Oh, I don't know. You have to ask him that. But I mean, <laughs> look, he, he, he admired my work ethic because, you know, he, he you know, like when, when we first got together in that and he, he was very adamant that he loves to do gym work and that and he didn't run a lot and, and I was a runner. So, you know, he started running and I started going to the gym. So, that there sort of told me, you know, okay, this is a good combination. And he wants to do what I'm doing and he wants me to do what he's doing. Um, so it was good. You know, we complimented each other, uh, but we just both had that same drive. I mean, he told me what he was setting out to do. I believed that he could do it. And I got myself into that mindset that he could do it and, and have that drive. And hence the sort of non-celebration type thing, because um, I saw it as a journey as trying to get to that ultimate number of 
you know, 19, which became 20. Then I said, well, it might as well be 21 because that's my favourite number. And <laughs> that, that's sort of all that was on my mind, I guess. I think a lot of things um, came and went and I didn't pay much attention to statistics winning these tournaments. It was just, you know, Tiger had this passion and absolute desire to eclipse Jack's record. And, and I brought into that and, and probably, you know, Looking back on it, sometimes I was probably might have been a bit harsh in some of the things I did, and, and maybe I was a bit, uh, you know, had the blinkers on, just trying to get to that thing as quick as possible, um, knowing that there's so much pressure involved in doing it. But it, you know, it was an awesome ride. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it, it would have been amazing to witness such such a great player from a couple of feet away and, and contributed to his performance as well. So. I want to ask you a quick question about the Ryder Cup, the 2002 Ryder Cup, Steve. So you and Tiger go to the Ryder Cup in England, and Tiger wins two and a half points for America, but Team America loses to Team Europe. How much did you enjoy the Ryder Cup with Tiger over the years? Yeah, look, uh, it's a great question, Evan. I actually, to be very, very frank about it, uh, I always felt a bit odd at the Ryder Cup because the, each time that I carried in the Ryder Cup, going back to the Ray Floyd days, right through to all the times with Tiger, uh, I was the only non-American on the team. And, uh, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, felt a bit out, to be honest, you know, that the, the Stars and Stripes, the, the American anthem and um, a, a bit of a hand on the chest sort of thing. I, 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 I'll be very honest, I, I felt a bit out of place sometimes. I mean, you know, the President's Cup was different, yeah. you know, because it's, 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 you know, our part of the world versus America, but it's, once again, I'm on the wrong side. But <laughs> <laughs> So, you know... You know, the, the Ryder Cup, you know, but like, hey, look, when you get into the Ryder Cup, it's the most amazing event in golf, bar none. The atmosphere is second to none. If you, if you ever want to go to a golf event, the Ryder Cup is just absolutely an amazing event, more so when it's played in Europe where the fans are more golf knowledgeable. Um, and, and Tiger was the same. But yeah, 2002, the, the funniest thing at the Belfry there was that um, Kalkovecchia and Tiger went out and played a practice round on the Wednesday um, earlier than they were allowed to go out because Tiger didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to face all the crowds and that. And that actually finished their practice round before the gates were open for the public to get in. And <laughs> all these people went and stood outside Tiger Woods' room at the Belfry there, out in the forecourt there, yelling, demanding him to come out and play again, <laughs> which, we ended, which we had to go back out in the course. It was absolutely bizarre. So is that the <laughs> only... Is that the only time that you ever caddy for Tiger that you saw fans scream encore, almost like a rock concert? Yeah, it was just bizarre. But they demanded that they'd paid their money because, like, a lot of people had paid, you know, because it's very hard to get a ticket for the Ryder Cup. So a lot of people had only got a ticket for the practice round, and, and they all they want to do is go and see Tiger Woods, and he's not playing today because he's already played. They just stood out in the in the belfry, if you, if you can picture it. There's a sort of a forecourt there. And I don't know how they knew which room he was in, but somebody worked it out. And they all just stand in there and just yelled until he came back out. We had to go and play a few more holes. It was absolutely <laughs> bizarre. That is awesome. I've never heard that story. Just just on that, Steve, um, how, how difficult is it for an elite-driven player like Tiger to sort of bow down to the, the, team, the team room that week and practice how the team wants him to practice as opposed to how he would normally go about a golf tournament? Yeah, I think, you know, initially starting out when Tiger first played in the Ryder Cup, I, I think that was some adjustment. And I think as each Ryder Cup went by, I think he realised more and more about what a team event it was and how important it was to do what everybody else was doing. And it's not an individual thing. So I think 
as time moved along, he got more comfortable with the Ryder Cup to the point where he actually got right into it. I didn't feel at the very beginning that, you know, he was into it as much as probably, you know, some of the other players and that, but certainly as each year went along, he saw the importance of it. And of course, you know, when you get a bit of a losing record sometimes, um, you want to do that. And of course, you know, given the player that Tiger was, he didn't compile a very good uh, Ryder Cup record, which is quite surprising. But um, I think what happened there is it's a question that gets asked a lot is the fact that I think a lot of guys that were partnered with Tiger were more fearful of not playing well and that sort of stopped them from playing well, if you know what I mean. They did, they would get paired with Tiger. They didn't want to let him down. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it's a fantastic event. I'll ask you this, Steve. No player in the history of golf has faced more demands on his time than Tiger Woods. And the Ryder Cup's always after a golf season. Um, would that would that weigh a lot on Tiger's performance? The fact that he was just gassed by the end of the season and then he's got to get himself up for a Ryder Cup and do everything that, that the team's sort of asking him that week and the media and the fans? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a huge adjustment because the Ryder Cup, um, there are a lot of requirements. And, you know, there's, there's the opening ceremony and these player dinners and there's this and these player meetings and these rules meetings and these, you know, there's a lot more to the Ryder Cup than just actually going and playing golf that you've got to be part of. So, you know, that, that when you're playing in major championships and, you, you, you know, you're on your own in that, you set your own timetable and you, you, you're strict to what you do. And sometimes at the Ryder Cup, you know, the lot that the, these night the, the the nightly dinners go pretty late, and they have these team discussions, and they have people come in and talk to the players. There, you know, it can be eleven o'clock or so before they get to bed, and they've got to play thirty six holes of golf the next day. So yeah. that that takes a little bit of adjustment as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, Steve, we'll, we'll move on to a different topic and bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, Tiger is about to go on a three-year winless drought at the majors, and in that time, he starts working with renowned coach Hank Haney to rebuild his golf swing, specifically around a couple of uh, injuries, knee injuries. Can you tell us what Hank had him work on and what it was like for Tiger to overhaul his swing again? Yeah, I mean, Tiger always liked the opportunity to work on his swing and, and change things up because he always, as I've alluded to before, he always believed you could get better even as good as he was, he always thought he could get better. And when he talked, Tiger had a great understanding of the game and, and of the swing and the mechanics that make a golf swing work. And, you know, when he would talk to someone and appoint a new coach like Hank, um, he, he thought that what his idea and what he brought to the table might en enable him to even get better, which is a scary thought, but he, he loved that. You know, you, sometimes when you're playing as great as he was playing, you, there's something that we say that, sometimes there's a sense of boredom set in. So when you step about and step back and strip your swing down and start again, it gives you a great desire to start working hard. Sometimes it's hard to work particularly hard when you're playing particularly well because it's, everything's there. So he loved that challenge. And if he, if he you know, brought in into the theory of what a coach would bring, um, which he would, you know, if he's going to hire someone, he, he obviously thought about it and the dynamics that that would bring. And he would work unbelievably hard to make what that coach brought to the table happen and those swing changes that they would bring to make those work. So it was a sense of desire to work harder and get better. And that is an absolute amazing thing about Tiger Woods. And sorry to put you on the spot here, but can you remember what Hank would have him work on in the beginning of that partnership? Yeah, well, I mean, he just had a different motion uh, with the lower half of the body and also the, the plane of the swing. 
as far as where the club would be at the top of the swing. So he had a few things that were, you know, considerably different positions of where the golf swing would be where, where Butch had it. So, that, you know, there, there was some major differences. Not They weren't subtle differences. They were major differences which required an enormous amount of practice, um, you know, to get those movements right and particularly under pressure. So, um, you know, like I said, Tiger, you, you, you take your hat off to the bloke. You know, he could just keep playing the way he did. He could have stayed with Butch or stayed coaching himself like he did there for a while and, and keep playing great. But the sense and the desire to maybe think that he could even get better um, is unreal. When Tiger made a major swing change, you had to pay close attention, didn't you? Because you had to learn how Tiger would play from then on in because that would dictate the, the advice that you'd give Tiger on the course. Yeah, look, I mean, when you when you when a guy's making swing changes and that, and and Hank, similar to Butch, and the fact that they weren't going to be at every tournament, they'd come to the major championship. So you, you know, you've got to pay attention to what those guys are working on, and and then when things aren't going good, you've got to be able to know, you know, hey, this is the key. Think about this, you know. So you'd listen intensely at the start of all those sessions where the new swing was getting put into place and the different movements and that and how those movements take place and what would go wrong if they weren't in place and that. So it's very important that you have, that you listen carefully, just you know, sit back and observe and, and, and make your own sort of mental notes at that. So when things didn't quite go right on the course, you'd have some key things to say, hey, just think about this. Remember Hank said this and sort of thing. So, you know, key things to do when a player is changing swings. And did you think that you had a better relationship with Hank or with Butch? And why? Um, look, I, I think Hank and I were more of a similar age too, for, for, for a fact. And I think we were a bit more similar to be, I fear. I mean, look, nothing against Butch and that fantastic coach. I'd regard him as the best coach that's ever played the game, uh, coached in the game. But uh, Hank and I just had a bit, of, a bit more in common, I think, because we're more of the same age. And yeah, I mean, you know, no particular reason, but we just, I think we, I think we gelled more. And... and Butch had not only was he coaching Tiger, he had always had several other players. Whereas Hank was just focused solely on working with Tiger, and I think that made a big difference too, as far as the whole team dynamics went. Yeah, definitely. Well, Steve, that wraps up episode seven of Chasing Majors, and I'm very excited for the next episode because while Tiger goes a few years uh, winless at the majors, the next one is so special, the 2005 Masters. So I'll see you at Augusta. All right, look forward to it. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.